All right, we have been working our way through the book of Exodus, and today we'll be in Exodus chapter 18. And so if you would uh, turn there, Exodus chapter 18, should be page 59. If you don't have a Bible with you, Jennifer, I'm going to knock this thing over if you leave it right here. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have some uh, that are in the the rows in front of you. Feel free to grab that. And if you don't own a Bible, take that one with you. We would love to give that to you. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 18. We're going to read the whole chapter. uh, And it's going to be on page 59 if you're reading along in uh, in the Bible, in the church Bible. Let's give attention to God's word. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger, a foreigner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help, who rescued me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this thing they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. And I make known to them the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now, listen to my voice. I will give you advice, and may God be with you. You will represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. 
Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their homes in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter... They decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. God in heaven, this is a lengthy chapter. There are lots of words here, lots of things that we could glean and understand. Lord, would you open our eyes? Would you unstop our ears? Would you soften our hearts? Help us to connect with your word Bowl us over if you have to, Lord, but would you get into our hearts so that this word would burrow down deep and bear fruit in our lives. Help us to see Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, so this, uh, this passage is really two distinct episodes. Uh, and really, probably a, a better preacher would preach this as two sermons. Um, but you don't have one of those, and so uh, in honor of the, uh, the holiday shopping to come, I'm giving you a two-for-one. We're going to try to do two sermons in one sermon. Call it a buy one, get one free, okay? All right, so this chapter is really two episodes, right? All of it deals with uh, the visit of Jethro, which go ahead and get your laugh out about Jethro, right? Not the Beverly Hillbillies Jethro. This at one time was a respect respectable name, um, but this is Moses' father-in-law. And it's interesting there, I think there, I've called this Jethro's school. So I think there are two things, mainly, that Jethro teaches us. It's a pretty amazing scene here. What we have is Jethro, and this is the, the first thing that Jethro teaches us, is what it means to come to faith. What it means to believe in the Lord. That's what, that's what we have, I think, in this passage, is here we have a pagan, a Gentile. In fact, he's a priest of Midian. But he comes to believe in Moses' God. He comes to believe in the God of his son-in-law. So we're going we're gonna to look at that first part under that heading. You can call it Evangelism 101 or Faith 101. But we're just going to see what it looks like to come to faith in the God of the Bible. What it means to believe. And then the second, and that's probably where we'll spend most of our time. And then the second, um, we're going to learn what, what Jethro teaches us about leadership. It's interesting that, uh, that an outsider... Not a Jew, but a Gentile has something to say about how God's people are led. And so we're going to look at what Jethro has to say about leadership. So this is, uh, this is Jethro's school. Uh, first, we're going to talk about what Jethro teaches us about believing or about having faith. Let's, get, let's do a little bit of background first. Who, who in the world is Jethro? The word father-in-law is repeated 
more than any other word in this passage, almost every other verse, Moses' father-in-law is said. So we know he's Moses' father-in-law, but that doesn't quite tell us everything we need to know. If you go back to Exodus 2, you'll see the first time that Moses and Jethro meet. Moses is actually on the run. He's been uh, chased out of Egypt, and so he is homeless, and he is penniless, and he is, he is without a family. He has nothing. And he comes to Jethro's house, uh, and uh, he actually begins working for Jethro. And it's probable at this point in the story, uh, in that point in the story rather, that Moses doesn't even really know God. Uh, maybe he has a vague knowledge of who uh, his people's God is, but we don't have any evidence that before Moses actually meets God at the burning bush, that Moses even worshipped the God of the Bible. So he marries this, uh, this Midianite man, he marries his daughter, and basically begins the next phase of his life without any... Um, without any hope or thought of change. This is going to be, he, he now will shepherd Jethro's sheep. Until, 40 years later, God interrupts his life. And for many of us, that's actually where believing begins. Not all of us. Maybe if you're young and you're raised in a Christian home, you can say with, with a beautiful testimony that there was never a day that you didn't know the Lord. But for others of us, God has to interrupt the normal. God has to break in. God has to intervene. That's what he does to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And he tells Moses who he is and then gives Moses this mission uh, to go back and get his people out of slavery. And so, guys, I want you to imagine uh, you've worked for your father-in-law. You have his daughter. You have his grandchildren. And then you go and tell him that you are going to take the family and head back to Egypt, right? I'm taking your daughter, I'm taking your grandkids, and we're going to go back to Egypt. How do you, guys, I just want you to imagine your father-in-law, how do you feel like that would go down, okay? That's, that's the conversation Moses has to have with Jethro, and amazingly, Jethro says, go in peace. Now, again, we don't know, we don't know if Jethro was a skeptic or, you know, I'm trying to imagine if, uh, if, if a son-in-law came to me down out of the mountain with the sheep and said, hey, you're never going to believe this, but I saw a bush caught on fire and it started talking to me. And it told me that I needed to go to Egypt. Jethro was probably much nicer to Moses than I would have been. But at any rate, uh, he tells Moses to go in peace. Right now, at some point in this journey, Moses sends his wife, Zipporah, and their two sons back to Jethro. Um, we don't really get the details of that. We don't know why it happens. But any, at any rate, he sends them back. And so that's kind of where we are at the beginning of verse 1. And I, I kind of have to wonder, was, was Jethro skeptical when Moses came down from the mountain and told him what he had to do? Was Jethro skeptical about Moses' God and what would happen? I mean, did he, did, he, did he give his blessing, but almost kind of halfway like, this is, I, I'm, I'm curious to see how this is going to pan out. Um, we don't know, but I have to wonder. Uh, and so it's probable that while uh, Jethro and, and Zippor and the kids were, uh, were back in Midian, that they were getting news from Egypt. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 1. Jethro hears about all that God has done. Jethro hears the good news of how God has rescued Israel and Moses from Egypt. He hears 
Probably from, you know, again, in the, in the ancient world, news traveled by caravan, by merchants going from one place to the next. And so he would have heard about the plagues. He would have heard about the devastation. He might have even heard about the Red Sea. And he's astonished, right? He's, maybe he's moved from skeptic to curious. And he wants to hear more. And so he goes to meet Moses at the mountain of God. This actually this same mountain where Moses met God before. They go back to the same place. It's called Horeb. It's called the mountain of God. It's where God appeared to Moses in the burning bush initially. And they're back there now. Moses, uh, Jethro is coming to meet Moses there. So uh, Jethro hears of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel. Uh, and now is curious and wants to hear more. Um, so well, let's just stop right there for a second. Maybe, maybe you are in the position of Jethro, right? Uh, and for, for, for many, that's where believing begins. You're skeptical, right? You're skeptical of the claims of God. Uh, maybe you're here this morning and you're like, you know what? I, I know Christians and I've seen the way that they act. And to be honest, I'm kind of skeptical that there's any truth in this, but I'm willing to hear you out. Or maybe, more likely, you're curious, right? You're, you're religious in general, like Jethro, who is a priest of Midian, right? You're religious, um, but you want to weigh out the claims of Christianity. You want to find out, okay, what is this Christian thing all about? And that's good. I'm, I'm glad that you're here. All of us have that background. All of us have that story. We have to come from somewhere. And I want you to understand that's where Jethro's coming from. We want to we wanna welcome skeptics to at least engage this message, right? Uh, and so Jethro's curious and he wants to come to Moses and hear more. What do we learn from this passage about how this process of believing unfolds? And the first thing I want to point out is, uh, we'll call it the open door. I want you to notice Moses' posture towards Jethro. Uh, Jethro sends word to Moses that they're on their way, and as they get close, there in verse 7, it says that Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. All right? Now, that was normal behavior in Moses' day. And, but, but I would argue, and this is a minor point, but I think it's important, right, Christian, when you're in conversation with somebody who may not believe as you do, right, let's, let's talk about the open door. Let's talk about respect and hospitality. That's what Moses shows to Jethro. I want you to see the posture right now. Um, Moses, this is what you did in Moses' day. Jethro would be Moses' superior, right? Um, he's, he's older. He's his father-in-law. But Moses is no small fish. He is, he is in charge of two to three million people, right? So he's not, um, you know, he's not something that you would easily forget about. But he goes to Jethro. He goes out to meet him, which is a, which is a sign of humility. He doesn't expect Jethro to come to him. Uh, and, right, he bows down to him. He kisses him, right, a sign of affection, and so, Christian, I would just kind of step aside here and ask this. Do we have an, are our lives an open door to those around us? Hospitality was the norm in the ancient world. What's interesting is when you get into the New Testament, it's also the norm for Christian behavior. When, when Paul is writing to the church in Rome, in Romans 13, 12, he says, pursue hospitality. 
I wonder, do we even do, do we kind of view our lives that way, that, that we ought to pursue hospitality? And, and when we say hospitality, that word literally means in the Greek kindness or love to strangers. That's what hospitality is. It's, kind, it's love to the stranger. Hospitality is not entertaining. Right, entertaining means that you need to break out the fine china and your house has to look like southern living and right no no that's that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about entertaining, we're talking about hospitality. It means you might eat on paper plates and you might not have gotten all the dust bunnies out of the floor. And that's okay. Do we have a posture of hospitality, of humility, of love and respect to those who are outside? That's Moses' posture that creates the open door with Jethro. Interestingly enough, not only is it considered a normal part of the Christian life, uh, excuse me, Romans 12, 13, but it's also a qualification for leaders in the church, right? Leaders in the church are to be the mature who are ready to lead, and Paul, in 1 Timothy 3, Three describes an elder as someone who is hospitable. Is this something that we're cultivating in our lives? It's a, it's a value that we want to cultivate at Grace Fellowship Church. We want to make the table and the home a place of ministry. Now, listen, if you're, uh, maybe your capacity is not there, or maybe your home is far out, or maybe you think it's too small, okay. Do you live life in such an open way that you are kind to the outsider, that you are loving to the stranger? That's, that's really what we're after. That's the spirit of hospitality. That's the open door. But beyond that, what we have next is the message, right? We have the open door of uh, respect and hospitality, but then we get into the message, what God has done. Look again at verse 8. They go into the tent, and then Moses told his father-in-law. Now, mine says told. The word is, is not the word. Um, it's not the basic word for told. What it means is recounted or regaled, if we're going to use a really old English word, right? Moses goes through everything that had happened. This is no quick 10-minute testimony. It says that Moses recounted to his father-in-law all that God had done. Right, So who knows how many hours they were talking about this. But clearly Moses wanted to convince Jethro of all that he had seen. Right, But no, no doubt going through in detail like his meetings with Pharaoh and the plagues and what happened and how the people responded in the Red Sea. Moses recounts all that the Lord had done. All that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. A focus on God's mercy. And notice this too. He's honest. Not only does he recount all that God had done, but he also recounts the hardships after the Red Sea. If you haven't, uh, if you've been with us, you remember that over the past few weeks, we've talked about this hard journey from Red Sea to the mountain of God, right? Moses is honest about what following God looks like. Right? He doesn't paint a picture of sunrises and roses and golden streets. Because that's not, that's not the journey of faith. Right? The, journey of, the journey of faith involved uh, doubting. It involved thirst and hunger and thirst again and then a battle. That was, that was the, those were the hardships that Israel had encountered along the way. Moses is honest about those. He tells, that's part of the story. I wonder, are we, are we that honest? Are we that honest when we tell people about what it means to follow the Lord? Do we tend to paint things in rosy 
uh, rosy pictures. Um, Moses is clear that this is no walk in the park because this isn't a sales pitch. He's not trying to sell Jethro a bit of goods. He's trying to tell him a story about his walk with the Lord. And so he's honest. He's honest about the hardships that have come upon them. But the main core of the message is this. How the Lord had rescued them. That word delivered or rescued is repeated five times in this short little, uh, this brief passage right here. The main point is what God had done to rescue his people. It's not, the emphasis is not on Moses' leadership or talents or cleverness. Uh, it's not on the salacious details of Egyptian slavery. He probably doesn't complain overly much about the grumbling in the wilderness. No, his focus, what he wants Jethro to hear more than anything, is what God has done. That's the purpose of his story. God is the one who gets the glory here. He is the one who rescues his people from their enemies and from themselves. Both the Egyptians and from the hardships, God is the one who has delivered them out of this. And so, I would say this, this is, this is the heart of evangelism. Right? This is the heart of the Christian message. Whatever, whatever connotations that word has for you, um, evangelism is simply this. That word evangel is a Greek word, and it means good news. That's it. Good news. That's all, that, and so evangelism, then, is just talking about the good news. It's good newsing. Right? It's talking about what God has done for us in Jesus with other people. If... if now, now listen, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that that's always easy. It doesn't mean that that conversation is not going to be awkward, right? Because sharing the good news means you also have to be honest about some bad news. Uh, it means you might have to confront some sin or some allegiances. But Moses shares the good news of what God has done. That's what Moses is doing here with Jethro. And so that's the, that's the message, right? We've been, uh, we've been rescued from sin and slavery. God has brought us to himself. That's the good news. Let's not be ashamed of telling that story to whomever will listen. And then what's the result? Look at verse, verse 9. Jethro rejoiced over all the good that the Lord had done to Israel. I think this is Jethro's conversion right here. Now, maybe he had come to know the Lord earlier, and this is just another step in the process. Because sometimes, walking with the Lord, not sometimes, most of the time, that's a, that's a progression. It's not a one-time thing where, like, all of a sudden the lights come on and ta-da, right? That only happens to, like, the Apostle Paul and three other people in history. But for everybody else, usually it's a progression, okay? But I think right here we have Jethro's conversion, Jethro hears what God has done, and he rejoices. He's delighted over all the good that God has done. And he says, right, he responds and prays, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians. Listen to this. I think this is interesting. Verse 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. I want you to stop and think about what that would have cost Jethro to say. Jethro was a priest of Midian. Okay, so in common terms, to use an illustration today, Jethro was a Muslim imam. Jethro was a Buddhist monk. 
right? Jethro was playing for the other team and had to switch sides, all right? Jethro, when Jethro says, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, he has to look at his, not just his work, not just what he did maybe for a living, he actually has to look at his whole identity and turn his back on it. That's what verse 11 means. And that's, friend, that's the definition of conversion. Conversion is when, is when we look at our old allegiances, at our old life. We look at the gods or God that we worshipped and we say, now I know that the Lord is greater. That's what Jethro is doing. Right, because, because whom we worship or what we worship is actually core, a core part of our identity. It makes up who we are. Now, we don't think about that much in the West in our modern times, but it's actually the reason why so many of us struggle even in the Christian life is because we're trying to live two identities, right? We're, we're worshiping over here and we're trying to worship God at the same time, right? We, we struggle in worship. And so that if it's a core part of our identity, when, uh, when Jethro turns his back on his Midianite religion, he's turning his back on his old identity and saying, I'm going with the Lord. That's what conversion is. It's turning your back on the old allegiances, on the old idols, and saying, the Lord is greater. That's what Moses, I mean, that's what Jethro says in verse 11. So we have the message we have the result, which is joyful conversion. And now, how does Jethro respond? After his heart is converted and he's believing in the Lord, he responds in worship. Look at verse 12. Um, Jethro brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. So the burnt offering uh, was a special sacrifice. It was a, it was a payment for sin. And it was kind of insurance that you had a right relationship with God. And so Jethro believes and he automatically responds in worship. And that's how, the, that's how believing works, right? When we are truly converted to Christ, we respond with lives of worship. We bring, right, we bring sacrifice in a sense to God. Now, in the New Testament case, there's no more sacrifice, no more physical sacrifice because Jesus is our sacrifice. But the posture of worship is still the same. To believe is to worship. That's what Jethro does. And then also Jethro has a meal with the elders and with the priest. Now, what's the big deal with that? I mean, he's just eating dinner with them, right? No, this is no ordinary meal. Did you notice it says that he ate with, they, they ate together before the face of God? What's likely happening is that they're taking some of the sacrifice that's been cooked on the altar and they're eating it there at the altar. This was a covenant meal. This was a, this was a meal that said we worship the same God and we fellowship together. And so if the first part, Jethro offering sacrifice, is the vertical relationship with the Lord... The second part, him eating a meal with the elders, is the horizontal, right? It's similar to what we do on Communion Sunday when we share a meal together and we say, we believe in this God, we trust him, we follow him. That's what Jethro is doing. The elders would not have eaten with Jethro if he was still a pagan worshiping Gentile, right? This meal says that they, they believe the same thing, they agree on the same thing, and so... Um, so let's just kind of summarize all of that. What does Jethro teach us about believing? Uh, first, it means 
hearing the good news. Right? Jethro has to hear all that God has done. And then Jethro has to believe what God has done. And believing means turning away from the old allegiances, from the old identity, from the old idol, and clinging to the Lord, right? In our case, clinging to Jesus. So hearing what God has done for us in Christ, turning from our old sin and clinging to Jesus, and then a life of response and gratitude to what God has done, right? A response of worship and thanksgiving for God's grace. That's what Jethro teaches us about believing, Now, what does Jethro teach us about leadership? There's really no easy way in my head to connect these two things. Again, I said these are two different episodes. But I do think it's interesting that Jethro, the outsider, who's just recently converted to this religion, to worshiping the God of the Bible, now has something to say about leadership. Um, And that's how God works sometimes, right? Have you ever ever been schooled? Uh, Maybe... Maybe at work, fellas uh, or ladies, uh, you've been schooled by somebody younger who really shouldn't have known uh, what they knew, and yet they kind of schooled you and showed you up a little bit, right? Or it happens more often, right, for for younger folks that we're schooled by our elders um, where we don't think we know, we don't know nearly as much as we think we know. At any rate, uh, Jethro, Jethro comes along and schools Moses, right? Let's set the, let's set the scene up about what's going on. This is, uh, this is day two of Jethro's visit, and he's just observing. He's watching Moses work, and here's what he sees. Moses is having to judge all of the people, right? Again, two to three million people, conservative estimate there, two to three million people. Um, and, it was, and it was common in the ancient world that a king would usually hear the cases of his people, right? Pharaoh made himself available on certain days of the week for, for cases to come before him. And that's what, that's what Moses is doing. The people, are, the people are bringing all of their cases for him to hear, all of these disputes. So, you know what? Uh, Aaron broke my wagon. Uh, Isaac's bull gored my sheep. Um, uh, that guy is flirting with my daughter. Right? All of these, all of these different cases are having to come to Moses to, for, for a decision. And you can imagine for two to three million people how overwhelming that would be. That's what, this is what, uh, this is what Jethro sees. He sees Moses sitting in judgment and he sees lines of people from morning until evening, right? That, that this is not being resolved. It's like, um, it's like the worst version of Disney World ever, right? It's like Disney World on the hottest day, hottest and busiest day of the summer with no fast passes and no fun rides, right? Just lines everywhere. That's what, that's what this looks like to Moses. Uh, that's what this looks like to Jethro. And so Jethro just calls him out. He says, what are you doing? Why, why are you sitting here now, all day long? And Moses' response is a right one. Well, the people come to me to judge their disputes. And I'm, I'm the one to whom God speaks, and so I have to make his word known to them. Right? I take each one of these cases, and I take it to the Lord, and I say, Lord, what would you say about this? Remember, we don't have a law yet. We don't have the Ten Commandments. That's coming in a couple chapters. And so Moses is having to carry all these disputes before the Lord and ask him, Lord, what, what about this? How does, your, how, does, how does your law apply to this? That's a good answer. That's right. That's what Moses should be doing, but he's not doing it in the right way, 
Aaron, uh, Jethro looks at Moses and, and, and really the first words out of his mouth in the Hebrew are not good. That's the first thing that Jethro says to Moses is not good. It is not good what you are doing. You are literally uh, wearing yourself out. Not only are you wearing yourself out, but you will wear out the people. And so what Jethro is saying is this. It's almost, uh, it's almost like an ancient way of talking about burnout, okay? Fading, like the, the same word is used of leaves falling from trees, right? You, you are fading and you are falling. And this one man show that you're doing, it is not good for you because it's too heavy for you to bear and it's not good for the people. You will wear yourself out and you will wear them out. And I think that's the first important principle of leadership that Jethro teaches us, that leadership in God's people is not a one-man show. Whenever one person carries the burden of the community, it wears out that leader and it wears out the community. The community is actually stymied in its growth. It cannot progress very far because all of the decisions are having to be made by one person. Right? So God's church is not designed to be led by one man. That is what Jethro is telling Moses. You cannot do this alone. If you do it, you're going to burn out and you're going to burn them out. It's not good for anybody. So let's fix it. Let's figure out a way, uh, a, a better way to do it. And what he says is, he, he basically says, let's look for other leaders. I want you to be on the lookout. You need to delegate some of your responsibility. And here's who you need to look for. These are the qualifications of leadership for these, for these judges in Old Testament times, but I think it has bearing on us today. And I think this is important as we think about as a church, who are the men that we will nominate to lead the church? Who are the men we will nominate to be elders? Who are the men we will nominate to be deacons? What kind of people ought we to look for? Now, 1 Timothy 3 can tell us that, uh, and Titus tells us that, but here... Here we see some parallels in Exodus. The first thing he says is, I want you to look for able men. In military context, this gets translated men of valor. In this case, it probably is right. It's capable men, men who are responsible, men who are strong, men who have knowledge. Um, the same phrase, ladies, if you're familiar with Proverbs 31, the Proverbs 30, 31 woman, a woman of... Uh, Good standing? How does it translate it? Basically, this is the male version. Okay? Same, same phrase, but instead of the word woman, you have the word man. So capable men, able men, men of strength, men of wisdom, men who fear God. In order to be a leader in God's people, you need to fear God. Fear, meaning reverence leading to obedience. You love God, you know God, and want to follow him. We need capable men who fear God. The church will die without capable men who fear God at the helm. Notice, not, I, because I've seen and been in situations before where uh, the leaders in the church were prominent businessmen, right? They're, they're good in their business, so surely they can lead the church well. Well, the Bible tells us there's not a one-to-one -one correspondence there. Just because someone leads their business well does not mean that they will lead the church well. 
There could that that could be an overlap, but not necessarily the case. The first qualifications are not he knows how to make good decisions. It's he's a capable man who fears God. That's who we're looking for. The second or the third qualification, men of truth, trustworthy men, men who know the truth, men whose lives have integrity, have character. They structure their lives according to the truth of God's word. And the result is that they hate dishonest gain because they are men of truth. They hate bribery. That means they don't play favorites. Men who love truth don't play favorites, right? They don't cave to the pressure of the dollar. They don't give judgments in favor of the rich or of the poor. They simply give right judgments according to the truth of God's word. So that's who we're looking for. We're looking for uh, capable men, men of valor, men of strength who fear God, and men of truth who hate bribery, who hate dishonest gain. Right? Those are the qualifications that Jethro gives to Moses. And we see that Moses does exactly as Jethro tells him to do. Moses, uh, almost, almost verbatim, it repeats, right? Jethro, uh, in, uh, in verse 19, Jethro says, Now listen to my voice. I'm going to give you advice, and may God be with you. Jethro, Jethro even phrases it in a way as, as to say, Hey, listen, God may decide this isn't a good plan, but here's what I think. I'm going to give you advice, and may God be with you. All right? And then he says this, If you do this, verse 23, If you do this, and God commands you, right, again, if this is the way God wants it to go, if you do this, God will direct you, you will be able to stand, play on words there, Moses is sitting, you will be able to stand up under the burden, and the people will go to their place in peace. It will, if you do this, and God commands it, you will be, you will be better off, and the people will be better off. So God's people are better under godly leadership from multiple fronts. And, and even what happens is, um, I skipped over this part, but this is important. Um, before, before Jethro tells Moses who to look for, he tells Moses what he's responsible for, right? He tells Moses, Moses what his qualifications are. He says, you shall represent the people before God. Somebody has to be the mediator. Somebody has to be the go-between. Somebody has to stand between God and the people. In this case, it's Moses. Thankfully, in our case, it's not me. In our case, it's Jesus. Right? But God's people need a mediator. That's Moses. Right? Um, You shall bring their cases to God. So Moses is to pray about how God wants him to lead his people. So there's another principle of godly leadership Whoever stands before the people must be a praying person. Moses is to carry these disputes before God. He is to be, uh, he is to be before God for the people. And you shall warn them about the statutes. The word there for warn is more of a, is, is a teaching phrase. There's warning in there. But warn them about the statutes and the laws. Make them know how they are to walk. And so godly leadership must take the word and lead the people with it. Right, so um, in that in this case, it's Moses. 
And in our case, that too is Jesus, and I just happen to follow Jesus in this regard, right? But God's people must be led by God's word. And then under that, you have the leaders who will help Moses bear the burdens. And so that's what Jethro teaches us about leadership, right? A one-man show is not good. It's bad for the leader and it's bad for the people. We have to delegate, right? We have to, we have, to have godly, capable men who love the truth, who will carry the burden of leadership. But those leaders must lead with the truth. They must lead with God's word. They must instruct God's people, God's truth. God's Bible is the litmus test. That's what Jethro teaches us about leadership. All right. I can't tie all that up with a pretty bow. But you have what what Jethro teaches us about believing and what Jethro teaches us about leadership. I want to go back and conclude with this. Right here at the beginning of the story, Jethro, or excuse me, uh, as Jethro brings uh, Moses' sons back to him, we get their names. And it's a beautiful thing that the, uh, the, the sons of Moses, their names tell the story of salvation. The first one, Gershom. I'm a stranger. I'm a foreigner. I'm in a, I'm in a land that isn't my own. But the second one, so the first one says something about us, to be strangers, to be wanderers, to be in a place that we don't quite belong. That's the first one. But the second one tells us something about God. Eliezer, God is my help. And that's really, that's really who stands behind Jethro. It's who stands behind Jethro's believing, and it's who stands behind Jethro's advice. God is my help. He is my Deliverer. I think Jethro would have loved the first song that we sang. Thy mercy, my God, is the theme of my song, the joy of my heart, and the boast of my tongue. Thy free grace alone, from the first to the last, hath won my affections and bound my soul fast. That was Moses' song to Jethro. Jethro believed it, and that is our song to the world. May God's mercy be our song. May this be true of us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're glad that you rejoice over us with singing, that your mercy can be the theme of our song, that before our parenting and before our marriages and before our politics and before what we say and before what we do, it is your mercy that we sing. It is your mercy that we tell the story of again and again and again. It is your mercy to us in Christ that helps us to lead the church, even to consider men who should lead the church. Are they men who know your mercy? Are they men who love your grace? Oh Lord, would you use this new convert, this former pagan, this former priest of another religion, would you use him to teach us about faith and how that faith leads? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.